health and wellness community. It has taken off in unprecedented ways in social media in recent years. Psychologists and therapists have become wildly popular influencers online, spreading their brand of healing modalities with millions of people. Since about 2018, Dr. Nicole LaPera has become one of the most followed therapists on Instagram under the moniker of the Holistic Psychologist. She calls her approach to therapy a self-healing journey, one which she says almost anyone can begin on their own by beginning to live more consciously. Her new book is a New York Times bestseller. It's called How to Do the Work. I sat down with Dr. LaPera to discuss why she thinks many people are living on autopilot right now and what the work is. The concept, actually, of the book, um, which had become the title of the book, How to Do the Work, uh, was really born out of my past experience um, in the field, um, operating as I had once done as a clinical psychologist, um, really coming to the realization several years into my practice um, of how universally stuck so many of the humans, myself included, that I was working with were. So much difficulty um, building the bridge, as I like to say, between from insight, if you will, to change, to actioning in a different way. And what I came to realize is that so many of us have such insight, such awareness of the things that no longer serve us in life, the habits and patterns that we might want to break. Um, yet again, we can't really find the way to create change in those areas. So the work really for me is emblematic of the daily choices that go along within the transformation process. The fact that we do have to begin to show up differently each and every day if we do want to begin to create a future that's different from the past that so many of us have been stuck in re-experiencing year after year. Let's get into defining what that work actually is on a, on a daily level. You have, uh, you know, over the time on Instagram, criticized the traditional mental health community and directed people to what they can do on their own. Is that correct? It's not that I criticized it. I think I'm just speaking to uh, what I believe is a necessity um, for the field to begin to work more comprehensively, more holistically, really honoring that the large reason why so many of us can't create change is because we're not honoring the fact that we're all connected to a body that for many of us is in a state of physiological dysregulation. Um, again, keeping us stuck in habits and patterns typically aimed around coping um, that are no longer serving us. So again, it's not that I, I wanna tear down the field in any way at all. Um, it's just that I am increasingly been made aware of um, the need to work, like I said, a bit more comprehensively um, as opposed to what for very long has been the gold standard in the field um, of cognitive behavioral therapy. This idea that if I begin to think differently, um, then I get to create different experiences in my life. And like I said, what I saw time and time again um, and what was reflected back um, in a state of disempowerment quite universally is that inability um, for thought alone to create the change that so many of us are looking toward. And the reason being, again, in my opinion, um, that so many of us are living con in conditioned patterns that, again, are a state of dysregulation in our bodies. Yeah, go into that a little bit more. What is a state of dysregulation in the physical body? What are the symptoms of that? So our bodies are just as much as our, our mental world is, is sending messages um, down to our, our physical bodies. Our physical bodies are sending messages um, up to our mental world as well. 
Um, and our nervous system, I speak a lot about our nervous system because it plays such a core evolutionarily driven role um, in our body's visceral or sensory based experiences. And so many of us do not have a, a flexible nervous system, meaning when a stressor happens as they happen in life, we shift into a state of activation where we can fight, flight or flee, probably words or concepts that listeners might have heard about then allowing our body to return back to its baseline. Um, many of us are stuck in this stage of activation of our sympathetic nervous system, always feeling on edge, always waiting for that next shoe to drop. Um, some of us might describe ourselves as I once did as an anxious individual, might even have panic symptoms. That's what that state of being locked in sympathetic overdrive looks and feels like for those of us experiencing it. Some of us get locked um, in that state of hypoactivation of our parasympathetic nervous system, where we actually almost have an opposite experience um, in we don't feel like we have any energy summon summoning um, interest or, or the desire to do anything in life. We're almost stuck in off. And again, the, the reason being is that we're, our nervous system is responding, reacting to things in our environment, often outside of our awareness. Um, keeping us stuck again in that state of activation. And again, the symptoms can look like hyperarousal, always waiting for the next shoe to drop, or can look like I have no energy. I almost can't um, summon the resources to, to continue life. What sort of events would cause the nervous system to go into under or overdrive like that in an individual's life? Well, at its core, stress does. Um, so anytime we have a stressful event, um, this is evidence, those of us who have any experience around infants, um, when they're in distress, right, they cry. They're indicating that a need, there's a state of dysregulation being reflected in their tears. Um, hypothetically, when they have an attuned adult who is able to show up and to be attuned to and to meet the need of the infant, um, the infant then returns back to that baseline that I was describing. So stress um, in and of itself is what causes our nervous system to activate. The issue with stress becomes when the stressor is too big by our perception and we don't have the resources or those supports, like I was sharing earlier, we don't have the attuned caregiver um, who has a flexible nervous system that can help us fall back into that state of regulation or when the stress is constant when it never goes away, when we don't have the moment to regroup or to restabilize. So stress at its core activates our nervous system. Though, like I said, if the stress is too big, and of course I'm simplifying it, or too long, um, we can get stuck. Talk about some of the, uh, the core concepts at the heart of your work, especially something called ego work. Most people, the ego, the word itself is not pleasant. No one likes to think that they have an ego per, per se. So define what you mean by the word ego and, and what the work is around that. Absolutely. So I'm going to pull back before I, I talk specifically about the ego and, and just talk really quickly about a foundational practice um, in consciousness, because this is how we get to discover our ego. Um, that stuck state that I continuously describe, right, that inability to create change usually lives in the habits and patterns that are stored in our autopilot. Um, a lot of us have come to know that term quite dearly or our subconscious mind. 
Um, and it is not until we become conscious to what those habits and patterns are that we can begin to create new choices. So as we begin to witness ourselves in real life, observing our daily habits and patterns, and then more specifically going into the question of ego work in particular, as we begin to notice the habits and patterns in our mental world, what we begin to witness are the unending, often very repetitive stories that we're repeating to ourselves day in and day out in our mental world or in our minds, how we're narrating our life that are coloring our daily experiences. And one of the predominant voices that we meet um, as we begin to witness our internal world or become an observer of our thoughts and those very habitual patterns that we recite to ourselves is we begin to meet our ego. And what our ego really simply is the story that we've been telling ourselves, so many of us for our lifetimes, about who we are based on our very real lived experience of being us. Thoughts about who we are, how we relate, what we're worthy of, what we're not worthy of. And little do we know it, these stories that again originated for many of us in experiences, in environments, in relationships that some of us might no longer be present to or operating in within our lives, they still, however, become the filter through which we're viewing the world. And again, our ego lives in the stories in our mind and it becomes the creation, all that we imagine ourselves to be based on our very real lived experiences that in my opinion, right, does ourself a disservice. Because for so many of us, those stories are born out of pain, are born out of not, you know, having the experiences or the relationships where we were able to fully have our needs met. Um, so again, as we become aware of our ego, I do hear a lot of, of negative, a negative rap that the ego gets with this idea that it's bad and that we shouldn't have one. Born out of that pain, our ego actually operate it as a protective mechanism, as a means to avoid what at one point was so debilitatingly overwhelming, it keeps us safe in a sense. So the goal for ego work is to, like I offered, become aware of those consistent stories that are coloring our daily experiences and not to, to kill it or off it, as many of us have heard language used, but instead to expand to begin to allow and give rise to the experience of all of the rest of ourself and our story um, that we had been denying or suppressing in protection for so long. You know, we've talked a lot in the past year, at least culturally, the pandemic being a time when people have maybe had more time to consider and think. And therapy itself traditionally is something that a lot of people aren't able to afford or if they've lost their, their health benefits, uh, it's, it's simply out of pocket for them. The self-healing journey, is that something that you feel is more accessible to people? So my goal for creating the Instagram account two years ago when I did, you know, one of the main goals, I had, I had a couple, um, one of which was to speak this new model of holistic healing um, that I intuitively, like I said, you know, felt was going to be important uh, for for humanity, for people. Um, my goal was to connect with other people who were, you know, living similar journeys. And my goal was to to put out these resources to speak, right? Like I said, my truth, my healing journey in a way that could be accessible to so many, because I know, you know, here, here in the States, therapy is a privilege. Um, beyond the states, there are off there are countries, you know, where these practitioners, these mindsets, these modalities of healing simply aren't available or are out of reach. 
Um, so for me, accessibility, you know, is incredibly important. Um, wrapping this into the conversation around COVID, um, I think COVID, you know, has presented multiple challenges for, for us as a collective, um, you know, giving us more time to spend focus inward, challenging our, our security, our sense of stability. Anytime that's challenged, anytime our foundation is, is shook, um, be it through actual loss of income, of relationships, of humans in our life, um, we can be activated. All of those deeper woundings, um, especially around, again, our nervous system, our sense of safety or lack thereof can come to the surface. So at its at the most simplistic form, the fact that life isn't being lived in the same way that it had been, you know, since COVID has occurred is challenging. Then of course, that's complicated even further by the very real loss um, that goes along with it. So many of us are online now. Um, many of us are maybe looking and, and in need of these tools of healing. So I find the tools of self-healing to be an implement, especially for those who do have the privilege and the access to outside supports. Um, many individuals in the self-healer community are in you know, traditional treatment, in traditional therapy, as well as doing the work of healing outside of the room as well. Well, let's talk about some of those tools, please. What are the major beginning tools that someone would use in approaching doing the work? So the first foundational tool that I referenced earlier um, around cultivating a new practice of consciousness. Um, consciousness is a word that maybe a lot of listeners might have heard about. Um, it might remain a concept, an idea, though consciousness is a practice. Um, it's actually about firing up our brain in a, in a new way. We now know scientifically that we can create change down to the neuronal structures. Our brains are what is called neuroplastic neurons that right, fire together, wire together, all of those very beautiful cliches that have a lot of truth. So what I mean when I say consciousness is lit, learning how to embody a conscious state, um, learning how to operate from actually a different region in our brain. Um, from our prefrontal cortex, as opposed to that deeper subconscious region that we've been talking about, um, where our autopilot lives, all of the habits and patterns that don't serve us. So to create a new habit of consciousness, we're actually retraining our brain. Um, tools and tips I give are using our breath or using our current moment and our sensor, sensory experience of our current moment to help us to hook our attention. Many of us aren't in our conscious mind because we're lost in thought, because we're somewhere else. Learning how to refocus our attention, like I said, on the ever-present breath that's running through my body, or on what I can touch. What can I smell? If I'm eating something, can I taste something in the current moment? And if I can hook my attention on my senses or on my breath, I'm actually creating that in the embodiment of consciousness. And remember, we're doing that so that over time I can gift myself with choice. I can see those old ruts, right? I can see what I used to do every time this thing happened and I can begin to create change. So I go on and on about how important consciousness is. That's what the practice of it looks like. And really honoring that it is a practice that so many of us aren't used to living from that conscious space of our mind. So it might be uncomfortable as we begin to tune into our breath and our bodies, right? We might meet 
old energies, old emotions, things that we've been avoiding for some time. We might just meet unfamiliarity, a new space. I'm not used to living consciously, though again, the byproduct of consciousness is we can gift ourselves with choice, choice to make new actions, to march now toward a future that begins to look different than that past that we've been repeating. Thank you.